Welcome to the Business Trendsetter podcast, where we decode market trends that influence consumer behavior. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. And we're Spark Partners. Please go to our website at sparkpartners.com to learn about how you can help your business and your career grow. So, Adam, today I want to explore uh, a topic that uh, I think is very pertinent to what's happening in the industry and the market today. But I want to juxtapose it against some advice I received about five years ago, and it was about 18 months before I, I shut down my own business. And uh, this very high-level, very successful retired executive was helping me look at my business, and I was exploring other opportunities within that same business to go into new markets with a new product. And that person who I respect very much told me, Manny, shut everything down except for your core business. Focus only on your core business. And so I did. I put those other things on ice and I ended up uh, 18 months later deciding to shut down my core business. And if I would have actually gone and explored those other opportunities, it might have been a different conversation. But here we are now. So let's talk about Amazon buying MGM and what that means from both an internal uh, Amazon perspective as well as the perspective of the consumer, right? We're, we're Amazon consumers, we're customers, and the rest of the world, how it pertains to how they see that purchase. So let me get your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think it's interesting that Amazon is only a 28-year-old company, and we're talking about this acquisition. Uh, by the way, I think it's important to note that we're recording this on May 25th, uh, where we believe the acquisition is going to happen for about $9 billion, but it hasn't been officially confirmed yet. So there's a chance that it may not happen at all. But even if it doesn't happen, we can explore why Amazon's in this position and, and what the benefits are. You know, a lot of people don't remember, but in 1996, Amazon was a two-year-old company, and it did about $15 million worth of revenue. Then it took it one more year, and it grew from $15 million to $150 million of revenue in 97. Then in 98, it was a $610 million revenue company, and it was finally in 1999 that it went to a $1.6 billion company. So entrepreneurs out there should think about this. Here it was, founded in 94. Works like the devil to become a, a, a I'm sorry, what did I say, Six, 15, $16 million company in revenues in two years. But then it proceeds to grow at this astronomical rate, you know, where it's growing up by 10 times its revenue or six times its revenue year after year after year to become a billion dollar company in just five years. So I would think every entrepreneur out there, every small company owner out there should be asking themselves, what's your route to a billion dollars of revenue? Is if you don't have one, you're not going to get there. And the problem is, is that if you don't have that level of achievement, the people around you who do have that level of achievement will take the market. They'll take the revenue. It's kind of like saying, gee, I'd really like to go out and play some basketball. And I'm going to have a good time on the court. And forgetting that anybody can show up on the court, including the NBA players. So you're really out there with LeBron James, whether you admit it to yourself or not. And you can say, well, I don't really want to play in that game with LeBron James. But over there is a young guy who's going to be the next LeBron James. Because remember, before LeBron James, there was Michael Jordan, right? right? 
So there's always people that are up and coming, ambitious, and ready to go get that billion dollars of revenue. Right. If you don't have a plan for it, it won't happen. And the bad part is somebody else will. And in the process of them getting to a billion dollars, it's liable to make you set back. You're likely to end up not going forward, but in fact getting pushed backward. Yep. So I think that's one of the first big lessons we learn about, about Amazon. The, the second thing is, Mandy, do you remember what business Amazon was in when it founded in 1994? Books. Yeah, that's right. People forget, but that's all they sold. Nothing but books. They didn't publish books. They just sold books. In fact, it was a it was a niche kind of a business because in those days, if you went to a bookstore, uh, you got books were bought at bookstores, period. And if you went to a bookstore, they would have the most popular books. But let's say you were trying to do some research on um, a topic or you wanted a book that had been popular four or five years previously. It was no longer on the bestseller list. And what you did was you went into the, to the clerk. You got this big, large index out. And then you looked up what was called the ISBN number. You found the ISBN number. The clerk would look up the availability of that because it wasn't in the store. And the availability might say, well, it's in our company warehouse, or we have to pull that from the publisher. And then they would tell you, give right. me the money. And in this many days, come back to the store, and you can pick up the book. So these books that were in print but not in the store was a, you know, a little bit inconvenient. And that's really where Amazon focused. It came, it came out and it said, we're going to make that opportunity to buy the book that isn't in the store easier because all you have to do is go to our site, put in the ISBN number, and we'll deliver it to your house. So we've saved you a trip to the store, and we've saved you uh, two trips to the store, actually, one to buy it and one to pick it up. And that was, that was their business, right, selling these books that were not in right. the stores. Then they started to think about, well, how could I expand that business? What could I do? And they started thinking bigger of their business, right? It's not just about books. It's about selling things. And they kept growing until they were doing more books. They started publishing their own books. And they said, wow, you know, this is a, a trend in terms of people buying online. And that buying online in the late 1990s was still a pretty unusual thing. There weren't a lot of people didn't put products online. They didn't know how to set up um, cash registers online or checkouts. And they didn't know how to process transactions. Credit card fees were extremely high at that time. Uh, so it was tough for a small business to set up a site. So here you have a, a situation where people were kind of wondering, is e-commerce, as we call it today, a fad right. or is it a trend? And what we know is that Bezos and his team said, this is a trend. We can see it happening. We see it growing. And the question is, how do you ask yourself, is it a fad or is it a trend? When, say, like I said, for the first four or five years, this company's revenues is growing at 10x year after year. That's a pretty good indicator. You're picking up new customers. More people are coming to your market. People are buying more stuff. You're expanding your lines. That's a pretty obvious sure. trend, right? And what we see is a company that invested in that trend and therefore used that to grow, to expand their investment horizon and to move into new businesses and to work on achieving their ambition and getting to that first billion dollars. You know, what's interesting about, uh, I think about the term uh, visionary. And when people think visionary, they, they see this person standing on you know, the side of a hill pointing and saying, we're going to go in that direction. And I have the vision to take us in that direction. But a true visionary, rather than say, we're just going to go in that direction, looks at the landscape of what's going on, decides to jump in the river, the one that's flowing quickly towards where they want to go, which is not necessarily the mountaintop, but it's that way, the way of success, the way of revenues. And uh, it's just interesting, you, you know, the, we were talking about here with Jeff in looking at what's happening in the future. He didn't fight what was happening already. He jumped in that river 
and threw the canoe out the, or the uh, oar out the side of it and uh, just flowed with the trends. Yeah. One of the, there's a great interview question I used to pose when I was hiring consultants. I would say, I'm going to give you $1,000, and you have to go from here in the room we're sitting in to Los Angeles, center of Los Angeles, and you have to be there in four days. That's what you have to do. Now, the $1,000, here's how, and then I would lay out, here's how much a plane ticket costs, here's how much a train ticket costs, here's how much a bus ticket costs, here's how much uh, fuel costs. You can use your own car, pay for fuel. And then, but again, you know, you're going to, you just have to be there in four days. What route do you want to take? And as people answer that question, it would tell a lot about their personalities. Some people would say, a plane ticket you said was $600? And I'd say, yes. I'd say, I'd take a taxi to the airport, take the cab to the, or take the air, uh, plane to LA, take the taxi to the center of town. I'll be there before nightfall. And I'll have $400 or $300 in my pocket. Then there'll be another person who'd say, well, I'm going to go get in my car. I'm going to drive. The gasoline's going to cost me $125. Uh, the hotel rooms will toss, I'm going to get a really inexpensive Motel 6, so they're going to cost me about 30 bucks a night, so I will end up there in four days, but I will have only spent uh, $220. Now think about the personalities of the yeah. two different people, right? Obviously, one person's about, let's get the job done, let's get going, I've got the resources, let's spend the resources, get there, and I'll have three days after I'm in LA to figure out what I want to do next. What's my next big opportunity? The second one says, oh, if you're going to give me four days to get there, I'm going to take that time, I'm going to use it up, I'm going to show up to meet the required deadline, I'll be on time, and I'll pocket $800 right. that I don't know what I'm going to do with, right? And then there's all kinds of mixes, you know, people would be in the middle, I'm going to do this, drive, take the bus, you know. But the answer to that question says a lot about somebody's entrepreneurial spirit, right, and what they would do. All of them could be entrepreneurs, but they're obviously going to behave differently. And I think what we have to remember is that, you know, the, the, the race does go to the fleet, right? It, it's not to this situation yeah. where tortoises come out ahead in the long term. The companies that get there first, grab the, the success, they get the most learning, they're there. If you get there first, then you're going to have the opportunity to figure out what you want to do next. While the other guy's still trying to get to the right. starting line yeah, or, remarkable. or get to the finish. Line. I think I just go uh, talk to an Uber driver and say, here's a thousand bucks. Get me to L.A. in the next eight hours. Let's make it happen. <laughs> well, you know what? I have to be honest. I haven't interviewed anybody since Uber was on the scene. And if I do, I'm going to have to remember what you said, Manny, because I need Indeed. to update my question. Well, what's interesting about uh, a company like uh, Amazon is uh, the, the talk about them buying MGM, it seems as though it didn't really raise any eyebrows, right? A lot of people were like, okay, why is that? Yeah. Well, again, well, what, do we, what do we have with Amazon today? Amazon has done so many things. It has pushed the boundaries of, of the trends. It has helped us to effectively improve our lives, to improve our productivity. You know, I don't have to take the time to go to a store to buy a product. Uh, if I want to set up a new business website or a new business online, I can go to Amazon Web Services and I can tie into that for secure uh, cloud computing resources. So what happened is we, we've gotten used to the fact 
that Amazon is fleet of foot. We've gotten used to the fact that when they see an opportunity, they yep. give it a try. They get out there. They go do something, right? So they said, we're going to sell books. We're going to sell general merchandise. You know what? We're not even going to carry inventory. What we'll do is we'll just put up a storefront, and then that order will be processed back to the original store. We'll take 5% off the top. You know, we'll process the transactions. You start looking at how they really push the envelope. You know, like I tell people, if, if, um, if the post office said they're going to deliver our mail with a, a drone, we would snicker. But if Amazon said, I want to deliver your package with a drone, we would take it very seriously. And that's because they've demonstrated across the years a willingness to look at the trends, figure out what people want, and get in there and make it happen. And Prime is one of those great examples where what happened was Bezos was asking his executive team, what's the number one objection to online shopping? And at the time, the security issues were not the, the, the thing. We'd gotten past that. People believed in secure transactions. They believed that the credit card would be safe. But what they hated was paying for the, the shipping. So you go to one site and the product's $10 and the shipping's $5. You go to another site and the, shipping, the product's $10 and the shipping's $4. So they, you, know, you had to look at the cost of shipping and, and, and the transaction fees that you had to deal with. And so Bezos said, what if we eliminated that for the shopper? What if we said, look, you just don't have to deal with that. The, the shipping will be free. And then it's like, okay, that, wow, that would make life so much easier for the customer. So see how he's pushing that boundary. Can I think about how I can give the customer what they want? So, okay, now if we don't charge for trans, the shipping, the question is, well, how long will it take? Sure, it's free, but it's going to take you two weeks to get me the product. So go to phase two. Well, no, no, let's guarantee we'll get them the product in a certain number of days, you know, two days, one day, whatever that would be, and keep pushing that forward. So that's the that's the attitude that we have to have as entrepreneurs, right? And when you do that, and you go out there and you try it, and you experiment, you know, what we call blank space teams. Put these people in place, tell, tell them, look, can you make that happen? What would it look like? How could we test this? So today we see Amazon with a lot of tests. We see them opening retail stores with no cash registers. They don't open a thousand of them. They open one and they try to see if it works. And when they struggled with the first one, they shut it down. Said, you know, we're not ready for this uh, cashierless store yet. What were the mistakes? What did we learn? Go back and try it again. And we see that culture now build up in Amazon, which is, hey, let's try things. We'll try something new. So when somebody says, hey, look, you know what's happening in the, in the field of entertainment? People don't watch TV anymore. You know, it's just only baby boomers and people that are dying that turn, sit down and turn on the television and flick through the channels. That's 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 old hat. That's gone. What's happening now, people want their entertainment on demand. And then you look around and you see who the on-demand players are and you see Netflix growing. And, and so here you have a company that knows nothing about entertainment, nothing at all, nothing about streaming, nothing about making television, nothing about figuring out what movies or, or shows would be good or bad. That's Amazon. And they launched yeah. Amazon Prime Video. Why? Because it's a market that's growing. Just like e-commerce was growing in the late 90s, here this market for online on-demand video is growing. And they say, you know what? We can't let that go. We may not know anything about it, but let's jump into it. Let's learn. Let's figure it out and see if we can become a big player in this high-growth market. And so that's what we see happening then with the prime video that comes on board. And we get to today where, you know, now somebody says, hey, did you know that Amazon is looking at buying MGM Studios, one of the largest studios in the world? And we go, what's, what's interesting oh, is that really? you know, we hmm, talk to uh, business Next. owners at all levels and uh, the, the small and business, uh, small and medium sized business owner tend to have this idea of like, hey, we, we love what you guys talk about, but sometimes the conversations are, are too lofty. You talk about Google and Amazon and these giant companies that 
that have all these revenues and all this uh, this capacity? And the answer that, that we tell them is, listen, all of those companies started off in somebody's garage, somebody's idea, somebody's brain, and they made it happen. And by understanding the way they do things, even if they're a, a trillion dollar company, those sort of things can be applied to your half million dollar company. Same thing. In the, and when you talked about uh, blank space, you know, one of the things about the blank space concept is you, you really have to put a, a moat around the team. You can't have your team or your individual working uh, on the core business, quote unquote, and then working at the other thing at the same time, because obviously they're going to be, uh, their affinity is going to be towards what's paying the bills, which is the core business. And like you mentioned before, with respect to Amazon launching these, uh, these stores without a cash register, they did it, they protected it fully from the, the, the mothership, so to speak, and they can do it in a manner which will give them the right answer. Um, and if we talk about uh, Elon Musk, he wasn't the first to come up with an electric car, but he was the first to come up with a, a um, platform to distribute the charging stations in a manner in which they can now be you know, very ubiquitous everywhere. Same thing with, uh, with respect to the iPhone. It wasn't the first that had the idea of an app or app store, but they did build the app uh, developer network first. So these things need to be really thought about in, in, in how you want to grow your business. You know, you talk about the cart before the horse, you got to make sure the horse has food and feed and, and is taken care of, right? You got to think about things differently. Get out of that box, then think. Right. And if you go back, the, the examples we're using here at Elon Musk is, an, is another good one. Um, there's always an obstacle to a business as it's getting started. So the e-commerce obstacle was, I can't see the product, I can't hold the product, right? So you have to build a good website that gives you more of a store type experience to know what the product is. And then you say, what? I still can't hold it. Well, then reviews. Get reviews on the website so that people can have trust in the product, right? So the, what I'm pointing out here is that each step of that way, have reviews to, to make the product, to understand the product, uh, get uh, confident about the transaction by getting the credit card companies to support the transactions. Look at the obstacles as opportunities. You say, if I can overcome that obstacle, then obviously it's a, it's a win and we could have good things happen. So here you have Musk when he starts the electric car. He doesn't come out with a four-door passenger car to appeal to the masses. You say, say, what's the number one problem with an electric car? Range. How far will it go, right? So range anxiety is the big problem. So the first car, he makes it to be one thing. Fast. Makes a two-passenger sports coupe just that goes fast. We had a range of 75 miles. But this whole point being, nobody's going to buy this car to drive it across town or to drive across country. They're going to get in this car because it looks good. It's really fast. And I look really, really sharp if I drive this vehicle. So I'll drive it to work, plug it in. I'll drive it to the restaurant and back. It'll be short hops. But, hey, I'll look good whenever I go drive in it. And that was the first Tesla. And for several years, they only sold that one vehicle. As they kept working on the problem of how to solve range anxiety. And as you said, Manny, eventually it gets to the point, if we're going to expand this business, we're going to have to go out there and put charging stations in place. So let's figure out our, our, core, our home market. Our home market's you know, Fremont, California. I think it's where the first plant was. We're going to be there. Let's, sell them, let's set up these um, charging stations in the Los Angeles area so that people can buy a car here. They don't have to worry about range anxiety. 
they'll be able to charge it in lots of places in here. And then we'll expand into other places in California, right? So that we go where we can help people get over this problem. And eventually they expanded it all the way to where now you can get the maps that'll show you how to get from your starting point to anywhere and be able to identify the charging stations along the way. So that obstacle, which is range anxiety, becomes the thing that sets you apart when you start focusing on, well, how do I solve that problem? How do I get over that problem? Instead of, you know, the General Motors and the Fords of the world said, I'm not going to do anything until you come up with a battery that's powerful enough to drive 400 miles. Because that's what we target whenever we put the gas tank on a car is it's going to go 400 miles. So until you got the batteries, we're not in the game. See, well, that's a silly way to think about it. Instead of saying, well, that's the obstacle, how would I get around that obstacle? Could I focus on a customer that that's not the most important issue? Can I, you know, identify other benefits that help me get past that obstacle? And so that's what we see Bezos yeah, did and, you know, very the, effectively the first, with Amazon. Uh, and that's what we saw uh, Musk do very effectively. The first uh, Tesla. Tesla Roadster was basically built off of a, a now, what the thing? chassis. Sorry, man, go ahead. So they even leveraged having something already, you know, 90% done, they just swapped out the engine with batteries and uh, electric yeah. motors. And that really goes to show that uh, as, a, as a business owner, I mean, there's ways to be creative. You know, we sometimes talk about uh, people confuse innovation with creativity. And uh, I mean, they're, they're sort of their cousins, but they're not more than that. You know, innovation is really giving the customer what they need in new and better ways, as we say. But uh, how you get there, that's where there can be some creativity. Something else that I hear a lot is that innovation is all about high tech. Think about Uber. <laughs> Uber is yeah. not that technologically advanced, right? It's an app. It's a two-sided app that talks to the uh, the drivers, that talks to the uh, the riders, sprinkling some a uh, little bit of legalese and some marketing, and you've got all of a sudden a rideshare uh, type company. Very little tech involved. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a, it's a dating app. Just, you know, not getting together for affection. You're getting together to get a ride, right? It, but, you know, they had to put some more stuff on top of it. transaction processing, timing, um, location, variable pricing based upon time of day. They did more than just a dating app. But, you know, the first inclination of it is you sit down and say, hey, I could get some person that has a car and they're not using it very much. Could I get them to provide a taxi type service if I could just mate them up their supply with some demand. If I can mate the supply and the demand, wouldn't that turn out to be a good thing? So again, it's looking at the market and saying, well, that can be an obstacle. Or you can say, but maybe there's a way to do it. And if I can solve that problem, then I'll move forward. Now you won't, and that's another key thing. You don't solve all the problems. This is a, the thing the big companies try to do. And often people get tied up in business plans. They start saying, well, after you knock down the first domino, then what's the second? What's the third? What's the fourth? What's the fifth? And, then, you know, and now I want, I want to see you, you write a business plan that knocks all those dominoes down. That's, that's not necessary. What's necessary is to say, I think I know where I'm going. I can see how to get across the next hill. And I have a pretty good sense that as I get across that hill, I'll become much more knowledgeable. I'll solve a lot of these problems. So when I look at the next one, I'm smarter and I'm more capable to go after that second hill. And then I'll be smarter and more capable when I go after the third hill. Some of them I have a sense of, I can tell you what they are, but I don't necessarily have, I don't have the answer for them. And that's a big thing we have to realize about these entrepreneurs. They don't have answers when they go ahead and they keep marching forward. They don't wait for the answer to present itself. Instead, they push and they say, I've got to go there. How do I create the answer? 
And that's what pushes and forces innovation in the organization. They say, well, if I've got to get there, then I've got to come up with a new idea. So again, it's, you know, get outside that box, start thinking, how could I try to make that happen? What would be a way that I could get from here to there? The other good thing is we also hear people talk about, I don't have the money, right? I don't have the money. And I've talked before about, well, you stop doing some things that you're doing today and you might have more money. But another thing is how you can create money. Because in fact, here we have MGM that was valued just recently at five and a half billion on the market. And, you know, it's considered about a $6 billion company, um, MGM Studios. And it looks like Amazon's going to pay $9 billion for it. $9 billion sounds like a lot of money. But it's not a lot of money to Amazon because Amazon creates its own money, right? And when you get to where you follow trends, you can actually create your own money. So let's go back to 2016, okay? not that far back, but it's at a time when Amazon had AWS definitely in place, definitely growing, but we didn't, it didn't report it out separately, so we didn't know much about revenues or profits. Really, we're still valuing um, Amazon in 2016 as an e-commerce company, and you had Walmart, world's largest brick-and-mortar retailer, right? And at that time, um, Amazon had $30 billion of assets, $30 billion, okay, which is a lot, I agree, but $30 billion inventory and everything else. Their market capitalization or their value was $330 billion. It was 11 times the assets. So if you sit down and say, okay, I, when I buy a house for a price, I want to make sure that I get my money back. Here we have a situation where you bought the house and the house got valued later at 10 times what, you, what it cost you to build the house. Why would a house, why could you build a house for a price and it go up 10 times in value? Because you did something that was trendy. You built it in the right place, right? You went to a place where people, where jobs are growing and people were going to be moving there. You built it in a place where it had a, a very nice view or it was on a lake or it was something that people wanted and was of limited supply. And so, so as more people came in, the supply gets used up, your value is going to go up, right? This is how you create value. And it's always based on trend. Right. It's based on that notion that the house is in the right place. You put the right. Maybe you somebody was had a small house. You came in and tore down the small house, built a modern house that had modern conveniences to it. That makes it worth a tremendously amount more money. The other one was worth one hundred dollars a foot. Now this one's worth a thousand dollars a foot. Right. We can look at it that way in a house. We do the same thing with the business. So Walmart. At the same time, this is before it's you know, got Jet going. It's really a brick-and-mortar retailer. It has $300 billion of, um, of, of, of assets, right? Um, we'll get the exact number. They had $232 billion of assets. Sorry, 2016, $232 billion of assets. But their valuation was only $216 billion. Why? Well, because they're not on the trend. They're a brick-and-mortar retailer. So their trend value is negative $16 billion, in other words, the world is saying, hey, brick and mortar retail, that's a dying business. Right. So exactly. Amazon, e-commerce, that's a growing business. So Amazon, we'll take your $30 billion and we'll make it worth $330 because you're on the trend, e-commerce. Walmart, you're not on the trend, so your company's worth less than the assets. Yeah. You know, maybe you should consider shutting some of those stores down and just selling the real estate because that's probably the real estate's probably worth more of something else than it is a retail store. So that's where we see Amazon's got value. Now we let's fast forward the clock. We get up to the current times. Well, okay, Walmart goes ahead and it buys um, Jet, and then and it and it gets into the e-commerce business. So what does that do? Well, it raises its um, market cap to three hundred ninety-nine billion dollars. 
in five years. Well, that's good. That's an 85% increase. Not a doubling, but an 85% increase in the market capitalization. Why? Because, well, now we've got a trending business. And we did it without adding a whole lot of extra assets because the jet assets are not nearly as expensive as a brick and mortar. And as a result, its market, its asset base only goes up to about $320 billion. And so we end up with um, $60 billion of trend value. So by, by Walmart shifting from putting its money in brick and mortar to putting it into jet and e-commerce, its trend value goes from negative 16 to 60, right? So now it's got $60 billion of value that it could do something with. But if it went to buy MGM, that would take up, you know, that would be 17% of its trend value, right? This nine would take up 17% of its trend value, plus $9 billion would take half of all the cash on hand that Walmart has. Plus, Walmart doesn't have a streaming business, so nobody knows what they would do with it, right? But let's look what happened at Amazon. In that same five-year period, Amazon, which had this $300 billion um, trend value, it goes off and buys Whole Foods, right, at $13.7 billion. And it keeps investing in AWS, and it buys all these logistics uh, facilities. I mean, it really invests in a lot of hard assets, such that $30 billion goes up to um, more like $320 billion. Yeah, 10 assets. Their assets go up tenfold, $320 billion. But because they put that money in AWS and they put it into continuing to growing the e-commerce business and this streaming video business that's, that's prime, they now have a, a market cap of $1,620 billion. Which gives them a trend, trend value of $1.3 billion. Right. So now what happens is they say, oh, I want to buy MGM. They don't go get cash. They just hand over stock. They've now created this trend value in their valuation. Sorry? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the trend value is $1.3 trillion. Exactly, exactly. Or, or $1,300 billion, right? So now you have a company that says, okay, we can take $9 billion to continue to grow video streaming, which is a growth market, which is yeah, on trend. Remarkable. And that amount, that $9 billion would, by the way, uh, only be about, get it here, 10% of cash on hand. So in other words, they have, you know, five times the cash on hand that Walmart has now, that they, it would only be 0.5% of their value and only 0.7% of their trend value. So what I'm trying to drive across here is that if you've got a company, and you're not publicly traded, but you're on trend, when you go to talk to a banker, you're talking to anybody, you can say, look, this is how much my company's worth. Walmart's worth a lot less than Amazon because Walmart doesn't have any great trend businesses. It's, you know, it's, an, it's a sorry second sister in the, in the retail yeah. trades, right? Because it's uh, in, over-invested in brick and mortar, under-invested in e-commerce. And what's the next big game? You know, it didn't create a video business. It didn't go create something new like we see, you know, like we saw happen in Amazon. But because Amazon did, their trend value keeps getting bigger and bigger. In effect, they can now go make acquisitions for free. They don't use cash. Right. They just use stock. And so that's what every entrepreneur out there can do. If you can have your business, your, your, your small, medium-sized business sitting on a trend, you can say, my, my company isn't worth five times earnings. Look at Amazon. Amazon's, when they, in 2016, they only had uh, profits of $2 billion. Right. I mean, it was tiny. It was tiny. And yet they had this huge $300 million market cap. 
Now they have, um, you know, if we take a look at right. what their market cap at one point yes. six trillion dollars, and their profits are twenty billion. Again, the PE ratio is an astronomical number, because you you can. You can make money the hard way, the good old-fashioned way, and that good old-fashioned way is you say, dig in, run a good business, right? That's Walmart. Dig in, run a good business. But it doesn't create the value that if you get on the trends, right? So rather than make money the old-fashioned way, make money the new way, and that's by being on trends, investing in trends. Right. So what we see is here's Amazon. Ooh. They're maybe the third player in this market. I mean, remember, you got Netflix out there. That's a killer competitor. Absolutely. You've got Disney, which has come out as a killer competitor. You just last week, we had um, Time Warner and Discovery say they're going to join forces. That's going to that's a massive what's remarkable. So now here you have Amazon saying, well, you know what? If we're going to stay yeah, in this game, we after it. You know, some of the, the $9 billion behind that. You know, let's go get that spot. Let's get it. Let's stay in the game. It is really available they've got to, the money to do to, it. Because it's their money, it's their course. currency, and it's called Amazon stock. Masterclass Think Innovation. And they're able to go really lays a foundation Amazon to help change your mindset. To get a hold it's really of a mindset shift from so you said earlier about uh, you know, digging and, and build a good business, which such is a rapid rate. way of doing things. And we say old school, it's really like way in the past because these companies have really taken to the next level and are innovative in ways that, that no one could have predicted 20 years ago. Yes. But here they are, here we are. And so our, our course really defines how to do this in, in, uh, in a very systematic way, just by looking at what's on hand, looking at the trends that surround your business specifically, as well as the market at large. I mean, it's a process. So I think everybody who listens to our podcast should ask themselves the question, what's my trend value? So if you said, what's your business worth? You can sit down and say, well, you know, here's my earnings. So my PE multiple would be this, right? Or, you know, here's my assets. So the assets ought to be worth this much, right? That both of those are valuing yourself the way Walmart did. But what you should be saying is, what business am I in that's in radical growth? How could I be transformative or participate in transformative business, right? You know, if I'm in healthcare, could I do something in telemedicine? Hey, I just saw recently that on our Spark Partners site, then uh, something came up about how uh, dog adoption skyrocketed during the pandemic, okay? So what could I do to support all these people that now have new dogs, you know, veterinary services, pet services of all kinds, walking your dogs, et cetera, right? But it's a trend. So what am I doing? What is the trend that I'm feeding that's going to grow like crazy so that I can say, this is what I have now. My assets are the foundation. My intellectual capital, my physical assets, the people in the building, that's my foundation. Yeah. But the value of this company is what it's building. It's how it's making the future happen. And therefore, the value is really in that future that I'm going to create, and that's the trend value. And your trend value should be more, much more than your assets much more than your assets. If it's not, you need to rethink your plan.
They need to start saying, wait a minute, why am I fighting the last the feedback war we've gotten instead of fighting the, the next so war? Far has why to am I trying to paddle really around the lake instead of paddling you down the river? And in, in let's go out and let's do the easy some, thing. Some and you're right, Manny. I think that's where the course can be really helpful to people. Because it helps you break away from those biased ways you have of thinking about so your business. Just that and move in outside the box that you can start thinking about new ways to grow, new ways to enhance your business, and create a lot of value. See their business and are actually now architecting ways to to launch some blank space teams and, and looking at ways to expand their business, not in just doing more of the same, but in doing something new in a new market, which of course is where the value is. This is a, when you and I first met, that was one of the things that for me was the eye opener as well, that most of the value created by an organization is not in, is, is basically right in the, uh, in the true innovation, the disruptive innovation, that is set apart from the sort of the, the typical uh, sustaining innovation, which we see uh, in a lot of companies today. Right. Right. I mean, everybody out there needs to just, you know, keep thinking about how am I going to be a billion dollar company? Right. How am I going to, how am I going to be the next billion dollar business? Even if you were a product manager in a larger corporation, I would say, what's the, what's the revenues of the product you sell? How do I make that product line into a billion dollar product line? What am, what am I going to do? What, what's the customer base? What's the approach? What is, what's the problem I'm going to solve? that now makes my product worth a lot more so I can sell it at a higher price or sell a lot more of them in order to get to a billion dollars. That, you know, that if you don't have a plan to get to a billion, you never will. <laughs> it's really simple. And, if, and getting to a billion dollars is the goal that I think everybody ought to have. And again, if you try and you don't get there, well, you could say you tried and maybe as you're trying, you'll start to learn what you're doing wrong and, and you'll find new opportunities. You know, it's one thing if you keep saying, I'm going to get there, somehow I'm going to get there and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep trying. The path is not what, you know, you'll find the path. You'll work your way through that path. There'll be stumbling blocks, difficulties, and hard times. Absolutely. But you will find your and way I'll there. I'll, leave, you I'll close out the podcast today to with the the, this kind of interesting concept the that. So the first uh, thing is have that you know, goal for that billion dollar folks, business. Like, yeah, maybe 20, 30 years ago for them. Like the, uh, the bogey has, was like uh, all good options. Six figure have. job, right? And then start working on that something always going to be based on traps. So, so a billion dollar company is the new six figures and value to people in a way that just you know makes their life easy. All right, Adam, thank you for your time. We'll be uh, speaking to you next week. Thanks for our listeners. Uh, another reminder to go to sparkpartners.com and be sure to share our podcast. I believe that uh, people that are in business that uh, or even remotely part of a business can share the the message here we'll talk about and help to open people's eyes to what's really happening behind the scenes in these giant companies, well said. companies that are making big, uh, big moves. So with that, Adam, take care. We'll talk to you next week.